0: FM, The Drive, presents the Behind the Song podcast, taking you deeper into classic rock's most timeless tunes. Here's your host, Janda. In this episode of Behind the Song, we're going to dig into the lyrics of a tune we hear every year around Thanksgiving, a talking blues story based on a real-life incident, Alice's Restaurant Massacre by Arlo Guthrie. Arlo Guthrie is, of course, the son of Woody Guthrie, Folk music legend and the writer of our unofficial national anthem, This Land is Your Land, recorded in 1944. A man who said of his guitar, This machine kills fascists. He is one of the most revered protest singers in American history, influencing Bob Dylan and many others who came after him. Arlo is one of eight total Guthrie children and the second eldest from Guthrie's second marriage, to Marjorie Greenblatt, who was a professional dancer with the Martha Graham Company in New York City, where Arlo was born. After Woody Guthrie died from Huntington's disease in 1967 after years of hospitalization, Marjorie founded what became the Huntington Disease Society of America to combat the neurological illness, of which very little was known at that time. And it was in 1967 that Arlo Guthrie, at just 20 years old, followed in his father's footsteps by releasing his debut album, Alice's Restaurant, with the title track being so long that it takes up the entirety of side one of the album. It is a full 18 minutes and 34 seconds long, a protest song that brilliantly lampooned the process by which the Vietnam War draft was conducted. It is a satirical take on an event that happened to Arlo himself, wildly exaggerated and hilariously clever. The son of a folk music hero and a dancer, Arlo Guthrie wrote what is possibly the funniest account of a Catch-22 that surrounds bureaucratic process, and in so doing, gave us all food for thought. Which is fitting, considering it is a Thanksgiving song, after all, even if it only barely mentions the holiday itself. Alice's Restaurant Massacre is the full title of the song. The word massacre is a term that has its roots in the Ozark Mountains, a sarcastic way of describing something that is so wildly messed up that it begs disbelief. The song starts with Arlo finger picking the melody and progression on his guitar, a style he learned from his friend Pete Seeger and blues legends like Mississippi John Hurt. And then the lyrics go like this You can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half mile from the railroad track. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. This song is called Alice's Restaurant. It's about Alice and the restaurant. But Alice's Restaurant is not the name of the restaurant. That's just the name of the song. That's why I call the song Alice's Restaurant. Now it all started two Thanksgivings ago, two years ago on Thanksgiving, when my friend and I went up to visit Alice at the restaurant. But Alice doesn't live in the restaurant. She lives in the church nearby the restaurant, in the bell tower, with her husband Ray and Facha the dog. And living in the bell tower like that, they got a lot of room downstairs, where the pews used to be. And having all that room, seeing as how they took out all the pews, they decided that they didn't have to take out their garbage for a long time. We got up here and found all the garbage in there, and we decided that it'd be a friendly gesture for us to take the garbage down to the city dump. So we took that half a ton of garbage, put it in the back of a red VW microbus, took shovels and rakes and implements of destruction, and headed on toward the city dump. Well, we got there and there was a big sign and a chain across the dump saying, this dump is closed on Thanksgiving. And we'd never heard of a dump being closed on Thanksgiving before. And with tears in our eyes, we drove off into the sunset, looking for another place to put the garbage. We didn't find one till we came to a side road. And off of the side of the side road was another 15-foot cliff. And at the bottom of the cliff was another pile of garbage. And we decided that one big pile was better than two little piles. And rather than bring that one up, we decided to throw ours down. And that's what we did. Drove back to the church, had a Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat, went to sleep, and didn't get up until the next morning when we got a phone call from Officer Obi. He said, Kid, we found your name on an envelope at the bottom of a half a ton of garbage, and I just wanted to know if you had any information about it. And I said, Yes, sir, Officer Obi, I cannot tell a lie. I put that envelope under that garbage. After speaking to Obi for about 45 minutes on the telephone, we finally arrived at the truth of the matter, and he said that we had to go down and pick up the garbage. And also I had to go down and speak to him at the police officer station. So we got in the red VW microbus with the shovels and the rigs and the implements of destruction and headed on toward the police officer station. Now, friends, there was only one of two things that Obi could have done at the police officer station. And the first was that he could have given us a medal for being so brave and honest on the telephone, which wasn't very likely and we didn't expect it. And the other thing was that he could have bawled us out and told us never to be seen driving garbage around in the vicinity again, which is what we expected. But when we got to the police officer station, there was a third possibility that we hadn't even counted upon. And we was both immediately arrested. Handcuffed, and I said, Obie, I can't pick up the garbage with these here handcuffs on. He said, Shut up, kid, and get in the back of the patrol car. And that's what we did. Sat in the back of the patrol car and drove to the quote scene of the crime, unquote. Now this all really happened to Arlo Guthrie, who on Thanksgiving Day in nineteen sixty five brought his friend Richard Robbins to pay a visit to Alice and Ray Brock who worked at the Stockbridge School in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. Stockbridge was a private music and art school where Arlo himself had graduated from. And the Brocks were certainly artistic, she a painter and he an architect, and they lived in a deconsecrated church where they would often have their young friends stay while in town. The church was built in 1829 as the St. James Chapel, and years later, Guthrie bought it and turned it into the Guthrie Center, a non-denominational interfaith community center. And Alice did own a restaurant called The Back Room prior to the song's release, which was close to the church. Upon arrival that Thanksgiving day, Guthrie and Robbins decided to help the couple out by taking out the garbage— and not finding the local dump open on Thanksgiving Day, dumped it illegally, for which they were actually arrested by police chief William J. Obenheim, or Officer Obie, on the basis of finding an envelope addressed to Ray Brock in the pile of illegal garbage. The arrest was written up in the local newspaper, the Berkshire Eagle, the next day, and it went down on Guthrie's and Robin's permanent record. And that's going to play into what happens later, as the song goes on. I want to tell you about the town of Stockbridge, Massachusetts, where this is happening. They got three stop signs, two police officers, and one police car, but when we got to the scene of the crime, there was five police officers and three police cars, being the biggest crime of the last 50 years, and everybody wanted to get in the newspaper story about it. And they was using up all kinds of cop equipment they had hanging around the police officer station. They was taking plaster tire tracks, footprints, dog-smelling prints, and they took 27 8x10 colored glossy photographs with circles and arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us. Took pictures of the approach, the getaway, the northwest corner, the southwest corner, and that's not to mention the aerial photography. After the ordeal, we went back to the jail. Obi said he was going to put us in a cell. He said, kid, I'm going to put you in a cell. I want your wallet and your belt. I said, Obi, I can understand you're wanting my wallet, so I don't have any money to spend in the cell. But what do you want my belt for? And he said, kid, we don't want any hangings. I said, Obi, did you think I was going to hang myself for littering? Obi said he was making sure. And friends, Obi was. Because he took out the toilet seat so I couldn't hit myself over the head and drown. And he took out the toilet paper so I couldn't bend the bars, roll the toilet paper out the window, slide down the roll, and have an escape. Obi was making sure. It was about four or five hours later that Alice... Remember Alice? There's a song about Alice. Alice came by and, with a few nasty words to Obi on the side, bailed us out of jail, and we went back to the church, had another Thanksgiving dinner that couldn't be beat, and didn't get up until the next morning when we all had to go to court... We walked in, sat down. Obi came in with the 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and the arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one. Sat down. Man came in, said all rise. We all stood up. And Obi stood up with the 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures and the judge walked in. Sat down. With a CI dog. And he sat down. We sat down. Obi looked at the C&I dog then at the 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and the arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one, and looked at the C&I dog, and then at the 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and the arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one, and he began to cry. Because Obie came to the realization that it was a typical case of American blind justice, and there wasn't nothing he could do about it. And the judge wasn't going to look at the 27 8x10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and the arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one, explaining what each one was to be used as evidence against us. And we was fined $50 and had to pick up the garbage in the snow. Alice Brock did come to bail the two out of jail, and they were fined and ordered to do community services punishment. The trial was presided over by a special judge James E. Hannon, who was actually blind, leaving Guthrie wide open to relate that fact to the term justice is blind. I mean you can't make this stuff up. Massacre indeed. And the song goes on. But that's not what I'm here to tell you about. I'm here to talk about the draft. They got a building down in New York City called Whitehall Street, where you walk in, get injected, inspected, detected, infected, neglected, and selected. I went down and got my physical examination one day, and I walked in, sat down, got good and drunk the night before, so I looked and felt my best when I went in that morning, because I wanted to look like the all-American kid from New York City. I wanted to feel like I wanted to be the all-American kid from New York. And I walked in, sat down, I was hung down, brung down, hung up, and all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things. And I walked in, I sat down, they gave me a piece of paper that said, Kid, see the psychiatrist in room 604. I went up there, I said, Shrink, I want to kill. I want to kill. I want to see blood and gore and guts and veins in my teeth, eat dead, burnt bodies, I mean Kill. And I started jumping up and down yelling, kill, kill. And he started jumping up and down with me. And we was both jumping up and down yelling, kill, kill. And the sergeant came over, pinned a medal on me, sent me down the hall and said, you're our boy. Now, Arlo Guthrie did receive a Vietnam War draft notice not long after the Thanksgiving arrest. And in those days, resistors of the draft would concoct all kinds of ways to avoid having to enlist. On the advice of his brother Dwayne Allman, Greg Allman famously shot himself in the foot to avoid the draft, and many young men tried various ways of dodging it, by acting psychotic or showing up drunk to the enlistment office. Guthrie appeared with his notice at the Armed Forces Annexation and Entrance Station at 39 Whitehall Street in New York City, where during the long examination process, it appeared that he would in fact be drafted, no matter what. But there was one thing that stood in the way of that as the song continues. Didn't feel too good about it. Proceeded down the hall getting more injections, inspections, detections, neglections, and all kinds of stuff that they was doing to me at the thing there. And I was there for two hours, three hours, four hours. I was there for a long time going through all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly things. And I was just having a tough time there. And they was inspecting, injecting every single part of me, and they was leaving no part untouched. Proceeded through, and I finally came to see the very last man. I walked in, sat down. After a whole big thing there, I walked up, and I said, what do you want? And he said, kid, we only got one question. Have you ever been arrested? And I proceeded to tell him the story of Alice's Restaurant Massacre, with full orchestration and five-part harmony and stuff like that, and other phenomenon. And he stopped me right there and said, Kid, have you ever been to court? And I proceeded to tell him the story of the 27 8 by 10 colored glossy pictures with the circles and the arrows and a paragraph on the back of each one. And he stopped me right there and said, Kid, I want you to go over and sit down on that bench that says Group W. And I walked over to the bench there, and there's Group W. That's where they put you if you may not be moral enough to join the Army after committing your special crime. And there was all kinds of mean, nasty, ugly-looking people on the bench there. There was mother rapers, father stabbers, and even father rapers. Father rapers sitting right there on the bench next to me. And they was mean. And nasty and ugly and horrible and crime-fighting guys were sitting there on the bench. And the meanest, ugliest, nastiest one, the meanest father raper of them all, was coming over to me. And he was mean and ugly and nasty and horrible and said all kinds of things. And he sat down next to me and he said, Kid, what'd you get? I said I didn't get nothing. I had to pay $50 and pick up the garbage. He said, What were you arrested for, kid? And I said, "Littering." And they all moved away from me on the bench there with the hairy eyeball and all kinds of mean, nasty things till I said, And creating a nuisance. And they all came back and shook my hand and we had a great time on the bench talking about crime, mother stabbing and father raping and all kinds of groovy things that we was talking about on the bench and everything was fine. We was smoking cigarettes and all kinds of things until the sergeant came over, had some paper in his hand, held it up and said, kids... This piece of paper's got 47 words, 37 sentences, 58 words. We want to know details of the crime, time of the crime, and any other kind of thing you got to say pertaining to and about the crime. I want to know arresting officer's name and any other kind of thing you got to say. And he talked for 45 minutes, and nobody understood a word that he said. But we had fun filling out the forms and playing with the pencils on the bench there. I filled out the Massacre with the four-part harmony, wrote it down there just like it was, and everything was fine. And I put down my pencil, and I turned over the piece of paper, and there, on the other side, in the middle of the other side, away from everything else on the other side, in parentheses, capital letters, quotated, read the following words. Kid, have you rehabilitated yourself? I went over to the sergeant, said, sergeant, you've got a lot of goddamn gall to ask me if I've rehabilitated myself. I mean, I mean... I mean, I'm sitting here on the bench. I mean, I'm sitting here on the Group W bench because you want to know if I'm moral enough to join the Army, burn women, kids, houses, and villages after being a litter bug. And he looked at me and said, Kid, we don't like your kind. We're going to send your fingerprints off to Washington. And friends, somewhere in Washington, enshrined in some little folder, is a study in black and white of my fingerprints. And the only reason I'm singing you the song now is because you may know somebody in a similar situation. Or you may be in a similar situation. And if you're in a situation like that, there's only one thing you can do. Walk into the shrink wherever you are. Just walk in and say, shrink, you can get anything you want at Alice's restaurant and walk out. You know, if one person, just one person does it, they may think he's really sick and they won't take him. And if two people do it in harmony, they may think they're both unenlistable and they won't take either of them if three people do it, can you imagine three people walking in, singing a bar at Alice's Restaurant and walking out? They may think it's an organization. In 1967, when so many young men were being drafted into service to fight a war they didn't understand, Arlo Guthrie, the son of Woody Guthrie, was rejected from serving in the armed forces for a littering arrest. When so many young men were trying everything they could do to dodge having to join up, he was declined for dumping garbage on Thanksgiving Day in a small town in Massachusetts as a favor to a friend. In the original lyrics in this part of the song, Guthrie used a derogatory word toward homosexuals, which was later changed because it is so offensive. It was used because at that time, homosexuality was also grounds for rejection to the draft, making a person unenlistable. Over the years, Guthrie has re-released the song several times and updated the lyrics. By using the word in the original lyrics, Guthrie was pointing out the absurdity of policy at that time. You could arrive drunk with your draft notice and get enlisted, but there were some things that would equal automatic dismissal, and they were often hard to rationalize. And the song goes on. And can you imagine 50 people a day? I said 50 people a day walking in, singing a bar of Alice's Restaurant, walking out. Friends, they may think it's a movement, and that's what it is. The Alice's Restaurant Anti-Massacre Movement. And all you gotta do to join is sing it the next time it comes around on the guitar. With feeling, you can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Walk right in, it's around the back, just a half mile from the railroad track. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Arlo Guthrie has said that the song isn't about Thanksgiving or even an anti-war song, but rather it's a song about resisting stupidity. He said in an interview with NPR, thank God that the people that run this world are not smart enough to keep running it forever. You know, everybody gets a handle on it for a little while, they get their 15 minutes of fame, but then inevitably they disappear And we have a few brief years of just hanging out and being ourselves. The song was made into a movie in 1969, written and directed by Arthur Penn, who directed Bonnie and Clyde. Guthrie played himself in the film. Alice's Restaurant Massacre was selected for preservation in the National Recording Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or artistically significant in 2017. It remains Arlo Guthrie's best-known and most-beloved song, a cynically funny blow-up of bureaucracy that continues to entertain. And more than the song being anti-war, it is the fact that it is so downright entertaining to listen to that makes it endure for generations. A grandfather now himself, Guthrie has said that his family doesn't listen to Alice's Restaurant at Thanksgiving time. that he's grateful that people enjoy it and that if radio stations are going to play one song of his a year, he's glad it's his longest song. And what would Woody Guthrie, the legend who proclaimed that his guitar and the words he put to music could kill fascists, what would he say about his son's epic monologue sing-along? Arlo Guthrie said this in an interview with The Atlantic. I can imagine the smile on his face is all I can say, because I know he would have enjoyed at least the sense of humor. I'm Janda, and this has been Behind the Song. Extra special thanks to Matt Cardsonis, the finger-picking guitar wizard who played Alice's Restaurant on this episode, and to Christian Lane for sound design. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Podcast One, or stream for free at WDRV.com, Behind the Song, or on the Drive app. Subscribe to the Behind the Song podcast on YouTube and see the video episode. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Jandalane Radio and on Twitter at Jandalane. On the way, episodes about the lyrics of some great holiday tunes and more classic rock and roll. Put the power of podcasting to work for your business. You can be part of Behind the Song and reach potential customers inside every episode. To advertise your product or service by sponsoring Behind the Song, send an email to podcast at hubbardradio.com now.